It is great to be with you. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here. And it has been, it has been some time. It's been a minute since I've been here. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, if you don't know our family, we just had a baby recently. And uh, they will be here, but we've been on, I've been on paternity leave. And so it's just great to be back worshiping with you and getting to share God's word with you again. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Luke? Chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, and that's where we're going to be putting all of our attention in this morning. That's Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. And it's fitting for this Sunday because this Sunday the world should hear the echoes of the church declaring who Jesus is. The world should hear the church sing loudly. The church should be declaring Jesus as King, Lord of Lords, that he has risen, that he is risen. But the world does ask and continues to ask the question, who is Jesus? And it's fitting because in this portion of Luke's gospel, the very question of who is Jesus is asked. And Jesus is seeking to answer that question through the various miracles and works that he's been doing. And today is a special day because it's Easter. And we get to celebrate Jesus. And we get to celebrate that empty tomb. And in chapter 7 is also a resurrection story. And it's one not, not as widely recognized, but it's memorable, and it's beautiful, and it's one that we can definitely celebrate this morning. So let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, praise Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross, and thank you that death is defeated, that the tomb is empty, and that Christ has risen. Lord, we pray that you would speak your word into us, that the Holy Spirit would fill us with an understanding of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would fill us with the truth that Jesus alone turns tragedies into triumphs. We pray that you would help us understand, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and mouths to declare Jesus as King. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, Amy and I, we were watching um, this new rendition of West Side Story. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I am a huge musical fan, and I am sadly disappointed that I did not like this movie. I did not like this rendition of West Side Story for multiple reasons. I can share them later. I won't go into all of them now. But there's one part of the movie I thought that they got right, I, and it's the very end, for like the last 30 seconds of, of the whole movie. At the last, I was, I was filled with disappointment watching it until the last 30 seconds, and I went, eh, they did that part right. And it's the part where, well, first, if you're unfamiliar with West Side Story, it's, a, it's a, like a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, right? So it's a tragedy in itself, like the theme of it is, is set, meant to be a tragedy, where two, two people who love each other 
are divided by the uh, groups that they live in. And because there's so much division, the division succeeds and the love is like is not to be seen in its fulfillment. So it's a tragedy in that sense. But the part that they got right is the very end. Tony, the main character, closing scene of the movie, Tony is just shot and he's dead. And he's laying on the middle of the street. And Maria is standing over him or kneeling before him. And on either side of him is is the, the gangs that have been battling through this whole movie. And then you have the one who shot him on this side. And there's this symmetrical kind of image that you have. And then all of a sudden, the the two gangs, the two groups, come together and lift up his body and then carry him down the street. And the entire town or the entire city is just in rubble from all of this demolition and stuff. And so you have this broken city with death surrounding it, and everything is ending. And most people would look at that scene and say, well, there's some reconciliation because these two groups have come together and they're now kind of united in this. But that's the wrong, that's the wrong thing to look at. It's the wrong picture to look at. Where they got it right was the character that we're supposed to be looking at, and that's Maria. Maria's in the very back, and she's following this group of people carrying her now dead lover. Maria is the one to focus on because her future now is marked by death. It's not reconciliation. Her brother, her older brother, was killed earlier in the movie. Her lover is now dead. This division is what caused it. They're walking down the streets of chaos, and she is walking with death in front of her, looking at an unknown future. Her neighborhood in ruins, and everything is unknown, and that's how it ends. And the point of that is that because it's a tragedy, it's supposed to make you feel like you've lost something too. Death has taken everything away. And in a crowd of people, in this crowd of people, Maria is left completely alone. And this is the kind of tragic scene we are brought into in verse 11 and 12. And I promise you it gets good at the end because it's Easter. So I'm not going to leave you there. So let me draw your attention to verses 11 through 12. Chapter 7, verses 11 through 12. Jesus has just finished his ministry, and he's walking into it, and reverberating through the town is asking, who is Jesus? And so we're brought into verse 11 where it says, afterwards he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Verse 12. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. So we're going to pause there, and I just want you to notice the description that we're looking at. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. 
and a large crowd from the city was also with her. So if we're reading this correctly, our attention is not going to be on the crowd itself saying, oh, look at, you know, look at all the support that she has. She does have some support, but what we want to gravitate towards is the state of this woman, which is she's lost her only son, and she has no husband. She's a widow. So her state is in an ironic state before this giant crowd mourning with her because she's alone. Death has taken her spouse. The man that she loved, that she committed her life to, is gone. The comfort that a husband brings, the protection that a husband brings, is gone. No one in the crowd can be her husband and can satisfy the embrace that she longed for, especially in that moment. Love has been replaced with loneliness. And at least she had her son to help her and survive and be supportive. But in this moment, death has taken her son. Her legacy. This is her future. This is her motivation. This is children are able to pull us outside of ourselves and care for another. And that's now gone. So now she's just left completely with herself. The family lineage, it ends with her. There's no more provision. There's no more financial support. Death has taken her security. And as was the custom, she's probably walking in front of the coffin with the crowd and the pallbearers behind her as they left the city. And that is the image of the future. Life is behind her. Death holds her present. And a desert of insecurity lays before her. I think what is most telling about death is its unnaturalness. We know we're not made for it. Death has crept into our destiny as an intruder. And that's how we should understand Good Friday too. Jesus dying on the cross, mysteriously, miraculously separated from the Father, not experiencing the Father's love for the first time, but feeling the wrath of God for the first time. Fully unnatural and unbearable. A friend of mine from a, a previous church, he's an adult and he had lost his adult son in a rock climbing accident. And he was devastated, but kind of the funeral and the chaos of everything kind of muddied his son's death from sinking in until... During this men's Bible study, he was talking to us, and I remember him telling, it, telling us that it really hit him when he couldn't hear feet pattering down the hall anymore. When there was silence of footfall, and it would break his heart over and over again. Tomorrow, this widow would wake up brokenhearted, 
without the sounds of her son walking throughout the house. Or so she thought. Friends, it's in our deepest insecurity and pain that Jesus moves towards us with visceral compassion. He is, in his very nature, a tender Savior. So let's read what happens in verse 13 and 14 together. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin and the pallbearer stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. Now Luke here is using the strongest possible word to describe Jesus' pity. This is not a, a pity in a detached sense, but in an identifiable sense. The word that I wanted, to, this little sentence to summarize it is, Jesus sees her. Jesus sees her. He is physically moved with compassion, with emotion, seeing her in her hopelessness. And what's best is that this is the typical response of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. When he saw Lazarus' sisters weeping over, her, their, over their dead brother, in tears, they run to Jesus and they cry, where were you? And Jesus' response is to weep. He weeps completely. He feels fully and he sees us as we are and identifies with our pain. Something that we, as people marked by the fall, are unable to completely feel. My daughter, Tavia and I, uh, Tavia and I we were driving uh, home from school one day. I was picking her up. And I, had this, I heard this uh, rendition, this song, Eleanor Rigby from the Beatles. Do you guys know? Eleanor Rigby. It's a great song, but this version of it was a symphonic-like version, and it was just, it's super dramatic, and it's very sad. And for some reason in my mind, I thought, this would be a great song to play for my five-year-old. So we're, we're driving, we're driving, and we got to this line, very dramatic. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'm going to say it, and I'm with, I'm going to say it with drama if I can. Uh, it says, Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father Mackenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walked from the grave, no one was saved. Ah, the lonely people, where do they all come from? And it's that refrain, the lonely people, where do they all come from? And I look back in my mirror and Tavia's like, oh, this is so sad. And she just kept on sitting there, and she just goes, this is really sad. <laughs> and then it's like, ah, oh, the lonely people. And she goes, sad. <laughs> and, <she's> <laughs> and then I'm looking out, and I'm looking back. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I can't necessarily stop it because it's sad, but like, what, what on earth was I thinking? And then 
And to make matters worse, the crescendo of the whole song is coming up, and that refrain, all the lonely people, is like rising and rising, and I'm turning the corner. And on the corner, I kid you not, on the corner of the street, I'm looking out, and there's this man weeping uncontrollably while this symphonic, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? And I, now I'm weeping, Tavia's weeping, the man's weeping, everybody's weeping. And I'm like, this is really sad. This is really sad. And Tavia's in the background, sad. Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. Everybody was a wreck. I didn't even know that. I don't even know why he was crying, but it was bad. It must have been something. Um, but here's the thing. That moment, our tears were in a way genuine. We felt music has an inability to touch our hearts and to make us feel genuine feelings. But in another sense, they were a bit synthetic. They weren't complete. We could really feel, but only so far. We were moved deeply, but not completely. When Jesus senses the pain in us, the pain and suffering from sin and from death, Jesus is moved completely. There is no detached Savior. There is a fully engaged, identifiable Savior. Identifying with the brokenhearted, yet without sin. Matthew 9, he speaks of this when he says, When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees us and moves towards us with true, genuine compassion. His sympathy is unadulterated by personal limitations or self-focus, but it is grounded in sinless, selfless love. What I love about this scene, about the widow, is her inaction. She's the recipient. She's not walking towards Jesus. Jesus saw her and entered into her sadness and came toward her. Each of us carries hurt in one form or another because we live in a world of pain. Some of us feel like the widow walking into the desert, insecure. Maybe you don't know Jesus, but my response is Jesus knows you. And for the believer, Maybe you haven't felt Jesus, but Jesus feels you. He knows you. Jesus has done the walking, and he, wa and he knocks at the door. All you have to do is open it up. And then life itself shines in our darkest insecurities. Jesus sees and he senses, and when we experience that, 
we get to hear Jesus speak. He said to the woman, don't weep. And then touching the open coffin, young man, I tell you, get up. And this is the striking dynamic worth worth considering. When Jesus speaks, the living and the dead listen. In the Gospels, Jesus raised three people back to life, and each time he did so in the same way, speaking to them as if they could hear them, hear him, because they could, right? He has the power over the physical world and the spiritual world. Because Jesus is the word of God, his word brings life to the living and the dead, making every resurrection story one of life and astonishment. Jesus alone has the passion and the power to turn tragedies into triumphs. He says to the widow, don't weep. And he says to her son, get up. And everyone responds in fear. And not the kind of fear that leans people away from Jesus, but towards Jesus. Let's read verse 15 through 17 together. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Awe and respect and reverence are are synonyms in the Bible for the fear of God. I I like how one Puritan explained it. True godly fear is what arises from faith when the heart feels the sweet taste of God's goodness and is struck with an inward awe and reverence. Very Puritan-esque, right? Sweet taste of God's goodness. I also wondered how many Puritan quotes you guys heard while I was gone. Because <laughs> get ready, I'm back. I'm just kidding. Faith comes from grace, and fear leads to glory. Let me say that again. Faith comes from grace, and fear leads to glory. It is the fear of the Lord that pulls us out of ourselves and tethers us to God's story. When we are pulled out of our own story, we are brought into a story that gives life because it is God's. It tethers us to past promises, just as these folks were overcome with fear and awe, God promised Israel that he would do just that in Jeremiah hundreds of years before. I want you to think about Jeremiah 32, verses 38 through 40, in light of this moment. God says to Jeremiah, They will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them integrity of heart and action so that they will fear me always. 
for their good and for the good of their descendants after them. I will make a permanent covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good to them. And I will put fear of me in their hearts so that they will never again turn away from me. This is the resurrection. Jesus is demonstrating the incarnate promise of Jeremiah 32 in Luke 7. As that moment is happening, Jeremiah 32, the promises of God, of the permanent covenant, is going to be flashing through people's eyes. When Jesus, when God promises, I will put a fear of me in the hearts of my people so that they will never leave me. All of a sudden, they are struck with a fear and now tethered to God and his promise. And how will God make this permanent covenant? By visiting his people. God himself became for us the sacrifice we needed to make his covenant permanent. Jesus' resurrection now is the celebration of that promise fulfilled. Because Satan's sin and death are forever defeated, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? This is the message of Easter. This is the message of Resurrection Sunday. The resurrection tethers us to past promises and future realities. It makes the foretaste, the shadow of the things that we experience now on earth, an anticipation of the real, true realities of what's to come. When I was in junior high, I was filled with teenage angst. I wore a lot of black clothes and stuff. <laughs> angst. There was, a, and there was a song that I had on, re, on repeat. It's from this punk band. And, uh, but it was a song called Just Like Heaven, which as I say it out loud now, it seems kind of ironic as I'm like listening to that. But let me go on. I love this song, but something was just kind of missing from it. But I listened to it all the time. It just like wasn't like the most complete song. But that's because I realized later that this was a cover. This wasn't the original. The real song was from the band The Cure. Somehow, a friend of mine got, gave me um, a Cure the Greatest Hits album. And I had my Walkman. You guys remember those? Yeah. Shout out. I had, my, I had my Walkman. I had to hold it right or else it'd skip, you know? And I looked at the back case of the CD, and I saw the song, Just Like Heaven. And I stopped, and I went, something unusual is about to happen to me. I better get my Walkman and get it like in a ready, ready place so I won't skip. So I'm in the library, and there's, only, there's few memories that I have of hearing a song for the first time, like vivid memories, and this is one of them. I put the Walkman on the library, on the library counter, and I press play. And the first drum beat, all of a sudden, I don't remember anything else. All I remember hearing was that this is the song 
that I had been looking for this whole time. I never listened to that other song ever again. I only listened to this song, Just Like Heaven. It was complete. This is what I wanted. This is what I had been waiting for. The real thing. The other song was just a foretaste. Our worship today, as wonderful as it is, is just a foretaste of what's to come when all of those who are in Christ will rise. The resurrection that we celebrate today is just a foretaste of what's to come and the celebration that we will have when all those who are dead in Christ will rise. And our future is twofold. We will be resurrected and we will be reunited. So let's, talk, let's take that first one. We will be resurrected. What does it mean when we get to look at the empty tomb and then Christians get to declare, we too will be resurrected? 1 Thessalonians 4 Verses 15 through 16. Describe it well where it says, For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So every believer will be resurrected like Jesus. Just like this young man, he will say, get up. Every believer will be resurrected. But more than that, if that's not even good enough, we will be reunited to all of those who have died in Christ. Grief and loss are real now, but only temporary. Because on that day, Jesus will say, say the same word to us that he spoke to the widow. Don't weep. Revelation 21. This is probably my favorite Easter Sunday verse. Then I heard with a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will not just visit them, but live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. Church, give me an amen. 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 Today is the day that we celebrate that great reversal when the tomb of death was emptied by life itself. When Jesus rose from the grave and turned tragedy into triumph. When we became permanently and completely tethered to God's redemptive story of grace through a Savior who deeply loves you, who compassionately moves towards you, who tenderly 
feels, feels and knows the pain that you are going through and says it is only temporary. Because in me, life itself turns to triumph. And I am with you. Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for all that you have done on the cross. And we thank you, God, that we get to celebrate the empty tomb. That when your disciples came in to continue their mourning on that Sunday, when they would come in and they would think that only death lay before them, that only death and insecurity and unknown chaos lay before them. We thank you, God, that they were shocked, that the tomb was empty and that you had risen. And Jesus, as we get to praise you and we get to continue our day praising you, that the tomb is empty. We ask that you continue to show us how tender of a Savior you are to us. How deeply you love us. And I pray for those who do not know you, that you would speak life into them, that your Holy Spirit would cause an awakening of the Spirit so they would turn to Christ and follow him. We love you in Christ's name, amen.